the question I wanted to ask this morning as we get started is, have you ever been in a desperate situation? And I think every one of us can think of some instance in our lives when we were in a panic mode, when we, you, we didn't know where to turn for answers and we were reaching for anything, grasping for anything for hope, and we were in desperation. You know, I'm sure many of you have probably not read these sets of books, but in the early 2000s, um, Suzanne Collins wrote the mega popular young adult fiction novels called The Hunger Games. And in The Hunger Games, she had this one line. In, in one of her books, it said, if desperate times call for desperate measures, then I'm free to act as desperately as I wish. And uh, that's obviously in a fictional story about a fictional character, but it kind of reminds me of a woman that we're going to be introduced to this morning who encountered Jesus, who was in full-on desperation mode, and she went to every length possible to encounter the Christ. And uh, because of what she encountered, her life was changed drastically. So I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles this morning to Mark chapter 5. We're going to read about 10 verses this morning. We are going to jump around just a little bit because I want to give some context to what we're going to learn. But I've been loving, I hope you've been enjoying this encounter series. We're looking at different, um, different moments and glimpses and snapshots in the Gospels of when people first met Jesus and how he affected them and how he impacted them and how he maybe even healed them or how he challenged them. And so this morning, we're going to see a woman... We're going to see a woman who was healed uh, by Jesus Christ because of her encounter. And I want to read Mark chapter 5, starting in the second half of verse 24. And we're going to read down through verse 34. And it says this, And a great crowd was following him. That's Jesus. A great crowd was following Jesus, thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years, and who had suffered much under many physicians, and had spent all that she had. And she was no better but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up. And she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in him that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garment? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowds pressing around you, and yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him uh, him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. And so here is this woman. She's exhausted every option in life, and she is exhausted from the physical the physical health battle that she is going through. So she cuts through the crowd. She kind of cuts the line, so to speak, to get to Jesus. We're in the city of Capernaum and the crowds are getting more and more large and they're just growing. And she is determined that she's going to get to Jesus. And she cuts through to get to this rabbi named Jesus who had a growing reputation for healing people. And so before we get into, I I guess, what we're going to see that she received from Jesus, I want to talk about 
some of the backstory to her story so that we can understand exactly what's going on and what exactly is driving her desperation. So understand in verse 25, it says that she had a discharge of blood for 12 years. Now, likely this was a gynecological issue. I've done a little bit of research and study on this. Nobody knows exactly for certain what it was, but it was probably something from her womb and she was bleeding and hemorrhaging blood on a regular basis for 12 straight years. This is an unending monthly cycle for this woman. And I don't know, ladies, without going into detail, we certainly don't want to do that. I know that you can probably relate to some extent to what this woman was going through and what pain she was suffering through and the, uh, the, maybe even the shame that she was going through. You know what it's like. You ladies know what it's like to go through this kind of a cycle on a regular basis. And you know the pain and the exhaustion that comes from it. You know that at certain times of the month, those claws just want to come out. And the, the fangs grow a little bit longer. And you just want to bite somebody's head off. And your husband's kind of scatter, like, get out of the way, right? Um, we know what that's like. And I know none of the men in this room can fully understand or empathize. But this is what this woman was going through. Now, it might be a week for most women. It might be a week out of the month for most women. But for her, this was every day for 12 years. And it was public. And so she was exhausted. She was kind of at, the, at her wit's end. And man, just imagine how this would feel. Imagine the stigma that would come with this. This would sap the joy and sap the life out of just about anyone. To not be able to stop a flow of blood would completely change your life drastically. And her situation is even more complicated by the law of Moses that we want to look at in Leviticus chapter 15 because God had some very strict rules when it came to men bleeding and certainly women bleeding um, uh, in their, you know, that, that time of the month, if you will. And so I want to read from Leviticus chapter 15. This is what God had to say in the law of Moses. This is what he delivered to him. And Moses delivered to the people about someone who was impure with blood. It says in verse 25 of Leviticus 15, if a woman has a discharge of blood for many days, not at the time of her menstrual impurity, or if she has a discharge beyond the time of her impurity, all the days of her discharge, she shall continue in uncleanness. As in the days of her impurity, she shall be unclean. Verse 26, every bed on which she lies all the days of her discharge shall be to her as the bed of her impurity and everything on which she sits shall be unclean and in the uncleanness of her menstrual as in the uncleanness of her menstrual impurity and whoever touches these things shall be unclean and shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water uh, and be unclean until that evening. And so this woman is ceremonially unclean right? That meant on top of the physical pain, on top of the exhaustion, on top of the embarrassment, the fact that she couldn't have children, the fact that she probably wasn't even married, she couldn't go into the temple. She couldn't worship in the synagogue. She couldn't even be around the crowds of people because whoever or whatever she touched became ceremonially unclean as well. She affected everything in her path. 
Now, people were not necessarily avoiding her because they were afraid of being infected by her disease or whatever was going on. They were just worried about being inconvenienced because if they were touched by this woman, that meant that they had to separate themselves from their family and all of their daily duties. It was a complete and utter like uh, upset of their entire day to be touched by this woman because they would be ceremonially unclean as well. And many people didn't want to be inconvenienced, so they shunned her. She was an outcast in the city. And scripture goes on to say in verse 26 that she actually spent her entire life savings trying to find a cure. She was trying to find that remedy, and the doctors only made her situation worse. And so here she is. She's an outcast. She probably hasn't had physical contact with anyone, even a handshake or a hug, in years, if not in a decade. She's now broke and her health is still deteriorating. Can you see how she would feel free to act as desperately as she wished? She was looking for some healing. So she goes against every religious and societal norm of the day in order to get to Jesus. And the question is, why was she so desperate to get to this rabbi named Jesus? Because she had faith that he was going to offer her something that she could find nowhere else. And what we're going to break down in our passage this morning, I've got four quick points I want to share with you this morning, is we're going to see what Jesus offered her, what Jesus gave to her in that encounter, and what he gives to us if we surrender to him, if we look to him in our desperation. And so maybe your moment of desperation has passed, but there's also a very good chance that because you're still breathing, you may have a moment of desperation even in your future. And so when we look to Jesus with hope, and with faith, he gives us these things that he gave to this woman who had the bleeding issue. And the first thing that he gave her is hope for her physical sickness. He gave her hope for her physical sickness. Verses 27 and 28, a little bit further on in the scripture, she, uh, it says this, she had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. Folks, when you're short on hope, you're short on caring about what anyone else thinks. This lady had nowhere else to turn, so she did not care what the crowds thought. She was going to get to Jesus. So she breaks through in spite of the opinions of the crowd. She breaks through in spite of the implications and and how it might affect everyone around her. She needed to get to Jesus. And you know what I found that it is that keeps most people from Christ in our day and age? The thing that keeps most people from Christ is that they have too much that matters to them. You ever have to think about that? We have a lot that matters to us. And not all of these things are bad and certainly not all sinful. We have family. We have bills. We have mortgages. We have jobs. We have um, possessions that are valuable to us. We have hobbies. We have dreams and ambitions. We have all these things that matter to us, but there are many people in our world that those things are keeping them from encountering Christ. And beyond that, maybe they're worried about the appearance of what it looks like to follow Jesus. Maybe they're worried about the crowds and what they might think if, if, if I become a Jesus follower or a Christian, or if I become one of those like Jesus freaks, then Man, what's my family going to think of me? What are my neighbors going to think of me? What is, what is the world, what is this going to cost me? 
We have too much that matters to us. Folks, when Jesus is all you have, Jesus is all that matters. And this is what this woman had here, and it's all that mattered to her. You know, Matthew chapter 9 shares the same account of this woman's encounter with Jesus. And Matthew in 9.21, this is how he wrote it. You don't have to turn there. She, um, he said this, and she said, if I only touch his garment, if I only... Those are three powerful words. And what it expresses to me is that this woman was at the end of all of her options. She had exhausted everything. And she got to the point where she said, if only. If only this, then I will have hope. If only this, I can find healing. And all of her hope was in Jesus at this point because there was nothing else. There was nowhere else for her to turn. Folks, anybody here in a desperate situation looking for hope? Anybody here turn to everything that this world has to offer, looking for peace, looking for satisfaction, looking for joy and looking for fulfillment and purpose in life only to find that it leaves you worse off than before. Man, this woman was right in that same place. And she finally got to the point where she said, if only I can touch Jesus. And sometimes some of you, some of you here at times in your life, you may have been at your lowest And sometimes it takes everything that you have to be able to to reach out and just grab a hold of the smallest parts of Jesus and to hold on with a white knuckle intensity. It's not an easy thing to do, but sometimes that's exactly what we can give is just to reach out and say, this is all I have left. This is it. The, The amount of faith that I have left, the amount of hope that I have left, I'm holding on to Jesus with everything that I have. And if that's all the faith that you have, that's all that Jesus needs. I've wondered throughout my years, I've been following Christ for 35 years now. I've been in church my whole life. And I've wondered from time to time why this woman, why when she reached out, if she got close enough to touch Jesus's garment, why did she actually just touch the the edge of his garment? Why didn't she try to reach out and touch his foot? Why didn't she reach for his leg or his healing hand? Why didn't she try to put her hand on her on Jesus' head? Why not find something a little bit more significant about Jesus to touch? I've wondered that throughout the years. And I, can I share something cool with you? A little bit of a history lesson, right? Like I've dug into this over the last few years and I've studied this out. And I think it's something that really brings power to the story when we understand the context of what was going on. See, um, Every Jew 2,000 years ago, and even to this day, a a, a um, God-fearing, worshiping Jew would, would have these tassels on the corners of their garments as commanded by the law of Moses. So I want to invite you to turn back to Numbers, the book of Numbers, Numbers chapter 15 this time, and I want to read verses 37 to 39. See, Jesus had these tassels on the hem of his robe. And verse 37 of Numbers chapter 15 says this, The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the people of Israel and tell them to make tassels on the corners of their garments throughout their generations and to put a cord of blue on the tassel of each corner. And it shall be a tassel for you to look at and remember all the commandments of the Lord to do them. So understand this, that Jesus would have had these tassels. Okay, I have them. Mine are not kosher. I bought them on Amazon. They were made in in China, but these are not kosher tassels. But either way, it illustrates something, all right? So these are tassels, okay? 
And every Jew would be wearing four of these on the corners of their garments. Okay, I've got two on here just so you can kind of picture it, right? Like they would have two in the back as well. And these tassels were called tzitzit. Okay, I know it's a little bit of a weird word. It's called a tzitzit. Okay, and there are five knots on this tassel. One, two, three, four, five. And these all represent the books of the law, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And so a good Jew would wear these around everywhere they go, every day of their life. And every time they see them, they touch them, they would be reminded that God has commanded them to be faithful to him and to follow his laws. Okay? And so this is a seat seat. And this is what every Jew would have been wearing on their wardrobe every day of their life. Now, over the course of time, I know this is, this is kind of a history lesson, but over the course of time, many people believed in Israel, and many Jews believed that the Messiah would become the son of righteousness, and he would offer healing when he arose, okay? And so this woman who is in this story, she knows her scripture. She believes that Jesus is that promised son of righteousness that goes back all the way to Malachi chapter four, verse two. You don't have to turn there. I want to read this just so you can get a little bit of context of what the prophet Malachi said about the Messiah who would come. But for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in his wings. You shall go out leaping like calves, from the stall. Okay? And so understand this. The Hebrew word for wings back here in Malachi is actually the word kanaf. Okay? It's the word kanaf. And so the son of righteousness would rise with healing in his kanaf or healing in his wings. But the word kanaf is also used in other places in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Um, actually, in the Old Testament, it would have been used to refer to the corner or the fringe of someone's garment. So the seat seat, this thing that you're seeing right here, this is, this is what was on the corner of Jesus's garment. These were considered wings. And so the Messiah would rise up with healing, not in his wings, but healing in his wings. And so this woman, she is not reaching out to the tassels of Jesus as her last hope. She's reaching out to this as her only hope. She believes that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the Messiah to come, and that there would be healing in his wings or in his tassels. So she is reaching out to that one thing that she can grab a hold of, and she believes she has a hope that Jesus will restore her, that Jesus will save her. She has a hope. In Jesus. That's the first thing that he gave her. Number two, Jesus gave the power to be healed of her spiritual brokenness, her spiritual sickness. Jesus gave the power to be healed of her spiritual sickness. You know, we sing songs about the wonder working power and the precious blood of the Lamb. You remember that hymn, There is Power, 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 Wonder Working Power and the Precious Blood of the Lamb. Uh, more modern songs, we talk about there is power in the name of Jesus. But do we really understand, folks, the power that flows through Christ to us? Do you believe that his power can fix your infirmity? Do you believe that Jesus and his power can heal your pain? That he can overcome any impossibility? Mark chapter 5, back in our main text, starting in verse 29, I want to read this as we move on a little bit further. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him. So here is this woman. She reaches out and she touches Jesus and he doesn't even have to speak a word. 
He doesn't have to acknowledge her. He doesn't have to do a, he doesn't have to do a diagnosis in order to heal her. He doesn't Google anything. He doesn't go to WebMD. He just heals her. This is nothing difficult for him. And her, her sickness is completely healed. Folks, can we even comprehend the infinite power of the God that we worship today? His power is so great. His, 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 his power is so infinite that it goes from everlasting to everlasting. And so the God who created the cosmos, the God that created everything that our eyes can see, and even those things beyond our line of sight, even beyond the furthest telescopes that we have in existence, he has created all of it. And this God who is so big, he calls heaven his throne room, and he calls earth his footstool, and he does not grow tired, and he does not grow weary. He never runs out of steam. He never gets tired of you. He is never weary of your requests and your supplications. He wants you to come to him. And he has the power in order to heal not only your physical sickness, but your spiritual brokenness as well. And this woman, she tapped into this power, this life-giving power that Jesus offered. Folks, that moment that Jesus touched you. We sang that song, he touched me. And all the joy that floods my soul. For those of you here today that are Christ followers, at some point Jesus reached out and he touched you in your brokenness. And he extended his healing power, his saving power to you. And he made you whole again. Number three, the third thing that Jesus gave her is he gave her undivided attention in the midst of the crowds. He gave her undivided attention in the midst of the crowds. Look at verses 30 through 32. And Jesus, again, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And the disciples said to him, you see the crowds pressing around you, and yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. And so here's Jesus. He stops everything he's doing. And he looks to see what's going on around him. There is a mob that's forming around him. In fact, scripture tells us if we understand the, the Greek language here that is being written, if we understand it, it's saying that the mobs are pressing in on him so much, it's almost as if Jesus is suffocating. Everybody is being suffocated. Everyone wants a piece of him. They want a new teaching. They want to see him do a healing. They want to see a miracle. Maybe bring somebody back from the dead. Jesus, we want all of this from you and the crowds are growing and growing and growing. Tons of people are brushing up against him. And scripture tells us that the crowds were pressing so great that they nearly suffocated him. Yet he recognizes one single touch. And he asked, who touched me? Who touched my garment? Folks, do you really think that Jesus didn't know what was going on here? Like he was confused. Like he didn't know who touched him and what happened. He knew exactly what was happening. He knew exactly who touched him. Because you're parents, right? Like many of you who are parents, you know how this works. You've done this. You catch one of your kids red-handed doing something and you want them to confess. You want them to confess their dirty little deeds so that you can know, is my kid going to tell the truth when I, when I confront them on something or are they going to lie? Anybody ever done that with your kids? Yep, you've done it. You confront them and you want to know, are they going to own up to what they have done? I tell my kids all the time, I tell them, if you confess, if you're honest with me, it will go a lot better for you. 
But if you don't, what is coming is going to hurt you a lot more than it's going to hurt me, right? And so they know that this is their opportunity to confess, to tell the truth. And this is what Jesus is doing here, not to punish her. He just wants her to proclaim her faith. He wants her to identify herself and just step out of the crowd and say, it was me. I'm the one who believes in you. I'm the one who touched you. And Jesus gives her his undivided attention. He wanted her to make a proclamation that he believed, that she believed Jesus to be the Christ. And he is fully in this moment. He gives his full attention to her. And what you may not know, because we didn't read it intentionally, is the very beginning context of this passage of scripture. And I think it makes it even more powerful when you understand what Jesus was doing and where he was headed in that moment. Look at verse 21 in Mark chapter 5. It says, And when Jesus had crossed again into the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored Jesus earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be well and live. And Jesus went with him. See, Jesus had a divine appointment in this moment. He was working his way to Jairus' house because Jairus had a level of faith and and he wanted to see his 12-year-old daughter healed. He was desperate for that healing for his little girl. So he reached out to the only person that he knew might be capable of keeping her from passing on. And along the way, this woman with a bleeding issue shows up. Literally, Jesus is on his way to a life and death appointment. And if Jesus doesn't show up, this 12-year-old girl is going to die. And what do we find out later on in the passage? She actually did die. But Jesus brings her back to life. But what I love about this is that we read about the woman with the bleeding issue in the context of all that. And Jesus just says, I have enough to give you. I have enough attention to afford to you. Along my way to something else, I can focus 100% on your situation. I don't, Folks, I don't know how this works. I don't know how Jesus or God is capable of being ever-present and all-knowing all at the same time and being all-powerful. I just know that's what makes him God. And so in this moment, he stops for the woman with the bleeding issue and he gives her his undivided attention. Somehow, because he's God, he's able to give you his undivided attention. At the same time, he's able to give me his undivided attention. So that means we can reach out to him and he is faithful to hear us and he wants us to come to him. He's not put out. He's not inconvenienced. His plans are not thwarted because we have come to him in a moment that maybe we think he didn't expect in our desperation. He's capable of all of this. And this gives me hope because I often feel like I don't matter. If I'm being honest, I often feel like, do I really deserve God's attention? Do I really deserve to be seen? Do I deserve to be heard? Do I deserve to stand at this pulpit and people listen to me? Like, I feel like I'm just another broken person, just like many of you in this crowd. And this gives me hope because it tells me that Jesus sees me and he hears me and he knows my name and he's capable of reaching into my situation and touching me and healing me. The fourth thing that Jesus gave this woman He gave her a new identity. He gave her a new identity by which to be recognized. I love this. Verse 34. And Jesus said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. For 12 long years, 
this woman was only identified by her shame. She was only known as the the loner, the bleeder, the outcast, the unclean woman, maybe even the disowned woman. You see, in those days, 2,000 years ago, you need to understand that when, when someone had an affliction like this, many people believed that God was angry because of someone's sin and they were being punished. And so there's a likelihood that no, she didn't have a husband and no, she probably didn't have any children, but there's a chance that maybe even her own parents disowned her because of her, I guess, so-called sin, what they thought was sin. And so she was completely isolated and alone. And these were the things that defined her. This bleeding was an identifier that became the scarlet letters of her shame. And all she wanted to do was slip into the crowd. All she wanted to do was be anonymous, to remain anonymous and to touch that tassel, that wing on Jesus's garment. She just wanted to slip in and slip out. Maybe no one would see her and she had the hope of being healed. But Jesus recognizes her and her faith is remarkable. And he stops for her and she goes from being called despicable. She goes from being known as despised to Jesus calling her daughter. Now check this out. This is the only time in the Gospels that Jesus ever called anyone daughter. This is a term of endearment. This is a deep, intimate term. I have three girls that I call daughter, and that's it. And they know me, and I know them. And I have a unique relationship with my girls. I don't call anybody else daughter but Sydney, Regan, and Finley because I love them, and they are mine And I belong to them as much as they belong to me. And here is Jesus saying, you belong to me. Your faith has made you well. You are not, you know, you are not a loner. You are not an outsider. You are not what you used to be anymore. You are now my child. This faith is remarkable. And so Christian this morning, I want you to remember your identity. I want you to remember when you're going through what you're going through. That there is a Christ, there is a God out there who knows what you're going through. He wants to give you hope and he wants to give you healing. He wants to give you spiritual healing. He wants to give his attention to you. He wants to give you an identity. Remember your identity in Jesus Christ. If you're here today and you're not a follower of his, I want you to know that you can look to him. You can just reach out with one little ounce of faith And he can save you. He can heal you from the mess that you have made of your life. If you will just reach out and place your faith in him. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father.